From Relay FM, this is Inquisitive, episode 18. This episode is brought to you by lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts. For a 10-day free trial, visit lynda.com slash inquisitive. Campaign Monitor, helping you send beautiful emails and get better results. And Harry's, an exceptional shave at a fraction of the price. My name is Mike Hurley, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Mr. Dave Whiskers. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for being here today. I'm thrilled to be here. I mean, I'm, I say here, I'm just sitting on my chair, but still. So all the fun things happen. Virtually, virtually here. Mr. Whiskers. Mr. Hurley. What do you like to be known for? Um, my sick dance moves. What kind of dance moves are they? You know, I, I don't even dance. I don't know why I said that. Uh, I, I make things is kind of how I see it. I, um, I mean... Some people would know me as a designer. Some people would know me as a podcast guy. Some people would know me as a video guy. Um, but I, I just think of it as I, I make stuff. And whatever I feel like making at that particular moment is kind of where my energy ends up going. And so far, so good. So kind of a, the way that I want to start this conversation today is talking about all of the things that you do. Because you are someone um, who I look at who is... Very busy. You, you, we have a, a phrase. I don't know if this is a phrase that you have in the states. You have your finger in many pies. Uh, th- we have a similar phrase. So you know, I, I look at you, and you, you are, you work on Vespa, which is mm-hmm. is maybe the app project that most people would know you for. Um, please forgive me. Is it the only app that you have currently that people can buy, like that that you can put your name to? Because I don't know if you do like private work and stuff. No, no, I haven't done any consulting stuff in a while. I'm working on, I'm happy to say I'm working on a, a project for the App Figures folks. And I think the only thing that's that's in stores currently that I've worked on in even the last few years is I, I worked on Kaleidoscope 2 for a while before I left Black Pixel. But this, like Vesper is maybe like the app that's got your name on it. Right, uh, literally has my name on it. Yeah. And also the thing that I feel closest to, I have the most influence over. Less, it was more of a collaborative work, I guess, than a project that you were hired to do. Yeah, it's uh, an app. Me and John Gruber and Brent Simmons work on it together, and it's very much a, a, a partnership, and we all have you know, equal levels of investment and, and excitement about the project. So it really does feel more like this is, it's our company, it's our product, it is ours. And so in that way, it feels more like mine than anything else, anything that I've done through consulting or or even... Even some other side projects and things, it feels more like, like as as much of a this is my company day job kind of uh, situation than more in that direction than other things that I've done. And so Vesper at the moment is iPhone, but you're currently working on a Mac app, right? Currently working on a Mac app. We've got lots of plans. We have lots of plans. That's what we always have to when people ask the the thing we can say, the thing we're comfortable saying is we've announced a Mac app and we have lots of plans. <laughs> Stay tuned. I think all of my support emails end with stay tuned. Yeah, I can imagine that people want people want it everywhere, right? Yeah, I mean, well, we're we're three people who who have you know other stuff going on, but this is still our big. You know, this is this is our passion project. It's it's the thing that we're in love with working on. Uh, but we're three people, and things take a little bit of time. So you also uh, you do some podcast sales. You sell some that. ads. You, yeah. not, not the actual podcasts. You sell the ads for the shows. Um, uh, none of the shows that I work on have been acquired by anybody. So, no, I don't. I haven't sold any shows. That'd be cool. That'd be fun. <laughs> you could be like a podcast sales conglomerate. Right. 
So when it comes time for Marco to inevitably sell his podcast, you can be there. I can I can be the guy to help make that happen. So you have a you have a, a very fancy stable of shows, a small small collection including ATP and the talk show. Yeah, yeah, the two the big heavy hitters, also mm-hmm. uh, the record and just the tip. So and not not strictly a podcast, but also my show, my video show is sort of in that same stable. Right, and that's Standard FM, right? Yeah, Standard FM. So if you want to sponsor ATP or the talk show or any of our other fine shows, uh, sponsor at Standard FM. How did that begin? Uh, it was kind of a necessity. Uh, it was I was working on Unprofessional and uh, Lex. Uh, it always seems like there's some dark story that like why Lex left. He just you know he he felt like he had contributed as much as he could and he wanted to go focus on his stuff. So he uh, he he went and did the the, the stuff. He went over to the mid roll. Um, Lex Friedman, for those of you who don't know who I'm talking about, my former co-host on Unprofessional, when he left the show. The guy, he was the guy who sold our ads and my job was to edit and work on content production. His job was to work on, on selling, you know, bringing in money. So when he left, I didn't have that anymore. And I'm thinking, well now crap, I've got, I've got this other thing that I have to do. What would, what would make this easier? Uh, and I, I thought around the same time I, I learned that, um, John's show, the talk show was going to be leaving, uh, meal radio because he wanted to go and, and do things under his own brand. And I, I made the offer to him, like, if you know, I, it would be so much easier for me to start these conversations with sponsors if I could start the conversation with the words, the talk show. And you, it would be great if I could you know, take on this burden for you. And we, we both sort of mutually agreed that it was yeah. uh, playing to our strengths and, and sort of ignoring our weaknesses to go that route. And then along the way, uh, Marco and, and those guys decided that they wanted a similar thing. And it kind of became, well... Uh, let's just put the put a little thing together for our friends, and like the people who don't want to deal with this thing, I'll just deal with it for them. And it's turned out to be great for me. It's a it's a a neat little side project. And we, I say we, I keep getting email. In fact, I got one today, an email from another show that that was looking for somebody to handle their sponsorship stuff. And the the answer I have to give is this is this is a side project. This is a part time job for me. I'm not looking I'm not looking to build an empire. I don't I have no interest in being the next mid roll. It's too much work. It is a lot of work, but it's it is rewarding. But it, it is, is a lot of work. when when it's uh, when it's a network. I look at like what you're doing with Relay, and it seems to me like such an obvious. It 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 fits. It feels right that you guys would be worrying about sponsor stuff, and even hearing your pre-roll at the beginning beginning of the show is like there's a it it doesn't feel like you handle it in a way that doesn't feel scummy, and. For for us, we're not we're not a podcast network like John Show and and ATP and the Record and Just the Tip. They're all their own individual things. They're not tied together uh, on the facade. It's all back end stuff. They they we just we all share a single point of contact for dealing with this one particular side of the business stuff. They don't report to me. There's no business structure in place where they you know it's I deal with sponsors and then I send them checks. That's pretty much how it works. Yeah, yeah, because it it takes that upper part away. Because there are like I like to try and standardize the way that things act and sound, especially because I'm on all but one show at the moment. <laughs> right, um, right. And then you know Jason's on Clockwise, and me and Jason do upgrade together, so he knows kind of how we do it as well. But it's like because there is no link really between ATP and the talk show, other than it being friends producing it. 
it makes sense that there wouldn't be like a standardized way of doing it, even though you are called standard. But that's, <laughs> that's a thing for another day. But you, well, let's I'll give that you know twenty seconds of explanation. It was just we needed a name for a thing, and it was in the 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 vein of that. What would what would MI six call it? What would the uh, the James Bond version be? Like, like what's a, the most generic thing you could do? Like what is the least exports or something? Yeah, like what is the least podcast networking sounding name we could give this thing? It works pretty well. But you also are, a, are still a podcast host. You you contribute to a bunch of Mobile Nations podcasts, like uh, Vector, the TV show, and Review, right? Uh, TV show got rolled into Review, and we're doing a little bit less of those now, uh, partially because I just felt like I was, I, I felt a little overexposed. Uh, in the same way that a few years ago, I was doing all these conference talks, and I hit a point where I realized that I was more known for talking than I was for making things. And I wasn't really comfortable with that. And so doing doing podcasts, I hit a point where I felt like I was talking a lot, like literally just talking a lot, and I wasn't really contributing much. And so I decided I wanted to back off of that a little bit. Um, and so now the, the, the show that I'd say that I'm on, Vector, is very intentionally, it's a show that's not about technology in the way that, like it's not us talking about the latest Apple news, it's, it's more talking about the way technology is affecting uh, society affecting humanity and that sounds kind of grandiose but the idea is like how did twitter affect ferguson and how did ferguson affect twitter and you know, what are the implications of the social implications or the moral implications or ethical implications of these tech companies doing tech things we're talking about like uh, uber in the, in the news over the last few weeks has been a great example of this like that kind of story is more interesting to me uh than than talking about you know, the, the latest uh, you know, MacBook Pros or something. Not because I don't find that stuff interesting, but because I feel like that's there are much smarter people than me, much more qualified people than me to cover those things. And where I would be most effective in contributing is is more on like what I consider to be kind of my wheelhouse, which is thinking about how people interact with things. you got an all-star cast. Um, yourself, Guy English, Georgia Dow, and Rene Ritchie, which is a, it's a great show. Vector is a great show. People should be listening to it. If they, I like it. If not, yeah, I think you guys do it and have an interesting way. It's like the news, but for a different lens. Yeah, we also have a, an interesting rule that we don't have guests on the show, but if one of us has to call in sick or whatever, uh, as I've done for the last two weeks, uh, then we'll bring in a substitute. Yeah. So we don't have guests, but we do have subs. And that means that there's there's a, a constant like refreshing stable of of interesting voices on the show. Uh, without making, without ever going over the four-person limit. Yeah, we do that with connected sometimes. Like if one of us has to step out, we might get somebody to to jump in, or we have like a correspondent or something. And it's it's an interesting way of doing it, and and not having to rely on guest booking every week, which right. take it from me is, and you know, uh, <laughs> really sucks. Uh, it as, can be a real pain. <laughs> so you you also uh, we're going to talk about this, and so we won't go into it too much. But you're also creating YouTube videos at the moment. Um, and that's one of the big things that I want to talk to you about. But is there anything else that I've missed from the work that, that you're up to at the at the moment? Um, it, it would probably, to an outsider, look like nothing has moved forward lately on... Because I'm also a musician. I was doing stuff uh, as as under the name Airplane Mode for uh, for a while, releasing like a song every so often. And the, the premise was that I'd put out a demo of a song that I wrote and like maybe give the story of like what that song was about or what where it came from. And I kind of stopped doing that 
right around the time, I guess, uh, I started packing up to move to New York. And one of my big goals moving here was to try to get more involved in music. I wanted to be more, I wanted to get like, you know, the, the local music scene. I wanted to get in touch with that to whatever degree possible. I wanted to hang out with other musicians and, and experience music in a way that I hadn't in a long time, which, you know, with a band and, and collaborating with other people. Cause I feel like I felt like I'd been working on stuff by myself for so long and there was, what was I missing by not having other voices in the process? Uh, so quiet externally on that front for a long time, but, uh, behind the scenes, I'm, I'm to a point where I think I should have something to show off pretty soon. It's going to be pretty big and I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, awesome. So what of these projects are work and what of these projects are hobbies? Uh, I would say doing the, the stuff for standard, like doing the, the, the sales stuff is probably the most like a job. It feels the most like work. Uh, also, b- probably not a coincidence, the most lucrative, but not to some dramatic over the top. I mean, it's not like anybody's rolling around in piles of money here. Uh, but it, it it's the thing that I would say feels the most like a job, the most like work. But it it still feels more like hobby than work. Like it, at no point do I wake up in the morning and just dread anything that I have to do that day. Unless yeah. I have to get on a long flight, which has nothing to do with anything. That's not really, I mean, that's a side product. Uh, it, I, I'm fortunate that all of these things are things I love doing. And maybe it's, you know, ADD culture thing. Maybe it's my personality. But uh, I, I like being able to move from one thing to another, one idea to another pretty quickly. And so to have the freedom over the course of a day to, I answer some emails about sponsor stuff. And then I go and I work on writing my show. And then I go and I edit the talk show. And then I go and I do this other thing. Uh, I I like that. I like that 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 balance. But none of them, like, there's nothing that I feel like. Oh God, if I could, if I could just give this up, if I could just get rid of this one thing, my day would be perfect. Out of all of the things that you're doing right now, what's exciting you the most? Video, I'd better hope, elevation. I'd hope that you'd say that. Yeah, by by far, in a big big way, for a lot of reasons. And the 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 big thing is that I just feel. We'll probably get more into this as we go, but I I feel like there's an opportunity to push the state of the art forward, and I don't know that I have the answer for that yet, but I find the question so interesting that I can't help but want to explore it. So I want to get into talking about all the video stuff and YouTube stuff with you, but before we do that, let's take a moment to thank our first sponsor for this week's episode of Inquisitive, and that is lynda.com, who provide you with an easy and affordable way to help you learn amazing things. With lynda.com, you get access to a growing library of hundreds of thousands of high-quality, well-produced video tutorials that can help you learn something new. lynda.com can help you turn your ideas into hobbies, your hobbies into businesses. They can help you learn things that you've never known or have always wanted to try out or perfect something that you know already. Lynda.com works directly with people who are experts in their chosen fields. Sometimes they work with creators of specific software or hardware products and they make sure that you've always got the very best person on hand to help you learn. They have great transcripts that appear with their videos so you can follow them along as you go and you can go back in later and search through them to find the point of the video that you want to brush up on. And they also break all their courses down into bite-sized chunks. This allows you to jump in and out at your own pace. Linda allow you to learn how you want, where you want and however you want and they also do this with their iPhone, iPad and Android apps so you can learn on the go. You get unlimited access to Linda's courses for just $25 a month. This includes courses on Design. They have courses on apps that you'll need to know, like Illustrator, Photoshop, with courses that are taught by people that actually work at Adobe. But they can also teach you 
how to draw. They have courses that will let you understand what the foundations of drawing are, like how to effectively use light and shadow, and you can get great daily activities to help build your skills. So no matter what type of design or artwork that you want to do, they've got it there for you. Maybe you want to turn those skills into motion graphics, and you maybe you want to make an animation or some description. You can learn how to use tools like Maya, Motion, Nuke, many more, and you can get all the tips and tricks for compositing and creating popular effects that you may need. If for some reason you've yet to try out lynda.com, now is the time as we have a special extended 10-day free trial for listeners of Inquisitive. Go to lynda.com slash inquisitive to sign up. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash inquisitive. Thank you to lynda.com for the continued support of this show and Relay FM. The great thing about Linda is that they're very nice people too. They are. They're very nice people. What a great transitional, like what a great segue sponsor. Because they're all yeah. about the video stuff. Oh, don't get me wrong, sir. I, I, I pick and choose these things. Yeah. <laughs> so what made you look at video as a medium for you to express something? I've been, I've been asking myself this question because I feel like when I was a kid, I would read uh, all these guitar magazines and there, there'd be interviews with my favorite guitarists and I, I would read like entertainment magazines and there'd be interviews with my favorite movie stars or whatever. But usually it was the musicians I would get excited about, like Guitar World or Spin Magazine, stuff like that. And I'd found that I, I hit a point where uh, I sort of would daydream about like what I would say if asked those questions. Not like I want to be a celebrity and be so interesting to somebody, but like just having somebody ask that kind of question, like you, you kind of get caught off guard by. And I have a tendency, I think, to imagine an answer to the point where I kind of lose track of where the answer started. Like, I kind of have to look for the, not that the, the answer is untruthful, but there's like a nugget of truth that maybe I miss because the answer be, gets like too polished, or maybe I answer a question too much. And this is one where, for all the, the stuff I've been doing with video, but like nobody's, nobody's asked that question. And I started thinking about it because I felt like this might be an opportunity for me to really think through what was the, the genesis of a thing that I did. Why, why would I do this? What was the, 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 the beginning? And really, I, I, the best answer I can think of is uh, bad lip reading. There was these videos, a couple, oh, I mean, they're still, they're still going, but a couple years ago I found this, this YouTube channel, Bad Lip Reading, where this guy, who's still anonymous, uh, would take existing music videos but re like turn the sound off and reinterpret what was being said or being sung in the video based on the lip movements. And he was, as the title suggests, bad lip reading. And so he would write entire new songs for these videos that were hilarious, but also just really good songs, really well produced, really like just a ton of talent to go into these things. And if you haven't seen them, you've got to check this out. I like but, the, the TV shows and the Super Bowls and stuff like that as well. Yeah, yeah, and they're hugely popular, like Medieval Fun Time Land, or Medieval Land Fun Time, whatever, the, the Game of Thrones one, genius. But the music videos are the ones that really get me, because he has to write a whole new song. Yeah. There's so much that goes into that. But I started watching those a couple of years ago, and looking in the YouTube app on my phone, I would, I'd stay up for two hours past when I was supposed to go to sleep, just watching more and more of these videos. And somewhere along the way, I maybe it recommended something, and I clicked on that. And I found maybe a year ago that uh, I was spending more time than I ever would have expected watching things on YouTube. And I don't think of, I didn't think of myself as a person who watched things on YouTube any more than any of us do. 
like we'll, you know, you'll click on a link that your friend sends you or whatever. But I, I realized that I was going to YouTube to specifically to watch certain shows. Cinema Sins. I know every Tuesday there's a new Cinema Sins video and I've got to watch it. And I know that every Tuesday, every Friday, uh, John and Hank Green will send their, their videos back and forth. And I, I, I sort of got in tune with the schedule of when these things would be released. And I started thinking of it more the way that I used to think of TV than I ever would have guessed. And, and there was a moment, uh, we had Jason Snell on Unprofessional about six months or so ago. And we were talking, we did sort of like a meta analysis of podcasts. And I had pointed out that we, for, for all of the, the excitement about podcasts right now, I've, I've seen the numbers. I know what a, a, a very popular podcast does. And I know what a, a medium-sized podcast does for download numbers. And a, a very popular podcast will do, oh, on, on a good week, 100,000 downloads. Uh, a very popular YouTube show has tens of millions of subscribers and will get tens to hundreds of millions of views. And I, I look at that and I just think, what are we missing? What is it about video versus podcast? And, I, and the more I thought about this, the, the more it, it kind of, I think maybe the brevity of it is a factor. I think maybe uh, where podcasts, audio only, a conversation over the course of an hour or two hours you get a kind of intimacy where there's people talking directly into your ear, but video is maybe easier to digest. I don't know. And I, I, I found the, the, the dynamic between the two and the juxtaposition of the two to be very interesting. And what I realized from that was that nobody in our bubble, our sphere of influence, was doing anything with video. I mean, not to, not to, any, uh, not to the degree that like, the popular YouTubers are. And when you look at the popular YouTubers, when I think they just did their best of 2014 or the 2014 wrap-up thing. You look at the people, even the people shown in their Photoshop collage thumbnail, and it doesn't look like any of these people are over 30. Hell, it doesn't really look like many of these people are over 25. And uh, maybe, maybe it's an age thing, maybe it's whatever, but I, I just saw there's this huge opportunity. There's a huge uh, market that maybe we're not reaching, and maybe there's a, a, a huge... I don't know. It feels like an entirely new medium that we're not really exploring. And it's, it's not that we would be the first to explore it, but uh, it, I think it should be explored. Do you look at the numbers, the millions, and think there's an avenue to be famous or successful? Um, I would say that famous or successful, uh, let, let's drop famous out of it for a second. I don't want to, I don't want to pair those things up too, too closely. Because fame, especially on the internet, is ex extremely relative. There's, there's a conference that I could go to where everybody in the room might know who I am, and then I could go into a room half that size just down the street from me, and none of those people would know who I am. And so these things are all relative. Uh, it, would be, it would be really cool to be known for making the things that I make because people like those things. Uh, but it's, it's not interesting... To me, I've, at no point have I ever wanted to be on the cover of People magazine or anything like that. Not that kind of fame. It's not that's not interesting to me. Um, and just being just being known for being known is also not very interesting to me, which is why I tend to shy away from uh, relying too much on personality and and too little on um, production, I guess. But being successful, yeah, I look at those numbers and I think there's uh, there's an opportunity to. To an opportunity to reach more people, there's an opportunity to uh, obviously make more money. There's an opportunity to 
get bigger sponsors. There's an opportunity to go on and and try other new avenues, other new mediums. It's not like I think of the the money as being well. Wouldn't it be cool to roll around in piles of money? It's well. What would this enable? What what could we then do? How much more production value could we invest in the things we make if we are making more money making them? And it's funny that the the sort of rock and roll philosophy versus the hip hop philosophy, um, where in rock and roll it's it's you don't want to sell out. It's bad to sell out. If you get corporate sponsorship, you're a sellout, and the integrity of your creations is gone. In hip hop, you you really want to sell out. That's the whole point: is you want to make money. You want to become successful. And we have this this uh, this mentality of of shying away from success a little bit. Uh, my friend Sarush Kanlu did a, a great talk at Kokolov about exactly this this subject, talking about how we need to get more into the 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 hip hop spirit and less into the rock and roll spirit because we tend to do things right now. And I say we, I mean the people who make apps. This you know our community. We tend to do things uh, from through from a place of almost too much humility. Like we're trying so hard to not seem arrogant or not seem like we're encroaching on anybody else's ideas that we, we kind of sell ourselves short a little bit. Do you have things to say that you think can only be said on video? Uh, I think that there are ideas that are best expressed in video. The last episode I did, uh, how to make a hit app. I, I did a couple of things. One was I wrote it so that I wasn't going to be on camera. I wanted to, to, uh, for every episode up until this one, I've, it's been my face and I wanted to try one where it wasn't me, where like how much, how much of this, how much, how interesting is it to have this message without me attached to it necessarily? I mean, it's still my voice. So there's going to be some of that, but like take some of the, uh, celebrity out of it. And I don't mean celebrity, like I'm famous. I mean, celebrity, like you attach to a, a specific personality. Uh, and the other thing I did was I, I made it to where if you turned off the video and just listened to it, it's effectively like a five minute podcast. And the words themselves would stand alone. And it kind of came off the heels of, of the podcast intervention episode I did, poking at the, the podcast community and what we could be doing to take things a step forward. And I, I really wanted to see, well, what if I did, what if I approached this as a podcast and proved that the video really does add something? Like, what could I, what could I do to take uh, something that was good and a, a perfectly good podcast, for, for lack of, like a for, perfectly good five-minute message in audio and really add something on top of it like what where could video shine and it was kind of an experiment in that direction would would i say that it could only be told in video no and i, I think many things uh i i don't there's not too many types of story that could only be told in video and that's that's more a storytelling technique and medium than it is uh n- a requirement, but I think that you can reach more people with video and I think that you can tell a different kind of story with video. So I think with, um, Mac blogging, like indie Mac blogging and, uh, podcasting in this little sphere that we have here, that there is a community feel. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody helps each other out. We know each other. We exchange, uh, help, like help and assistance with things like that. Um, have you found, any kinds of communities or do you know if there's a community aspect like this with YouTube? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. 
And it, that's kind of what inspired me. Uh, I, I started watching the, uh, the John Green uh, and his brother Hank Green. They, so John Green, if, if you don't know, uh, in addition to being YouTube celebrity, is also an author. He wrote a book called The Fault in Our Stars, which was just made into a, a, an extremely popular movie. Um, and he wrote another book called Paper Towns, which is being made into a movie that, by all accounts, should probably be a really popular movie when it comes out. Uh, they've got this, this community they've built around them they call um, Nerd Fighters. Which I'm assuming that means fighters who are nerds, not people who fight nerds. I'm not really clear on that it's one. Not, it's not the best <laughs> name, is it? Really? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, but whatever. Uh, and it is so much bigger than, I think, even our community. And my, I say this with a degree of hesitation because I think maybe there's, there's more to our community or there's more potential to our community than, than we're, we're realizing, and I don't want to sell that short. But they put on a conference. So we, we put on our, our developer conferences. We put on Mac conferences. Even, even the greats like Ool or Singleton, you know, we'll bring in a couple hundred people. Uh, I'd have to pull up the numbers, but uh, their conference that they did is called VidCon. Their community conference, they put on a conference for YouTubers called VidCon. And uh, I want to, uh, somebody fact check me on this. I want to say it was in the tens of thousands of people who showed up. They just did, they just did a, a several days long, um, they call it Project for Awesome, where it's just like a, a YouTube live stream uh, fundraising initiative to raise money for charity. $1.2 million they brought in. Their, their community is, is so much bigger than what we're doing, and we don't know about it. And it's crazy to me that we don't know about it, we don't understand it. And we're not we're not doing more to be like that. And so I, I think what what I would hope is that we have that same potential. There were eighteen thousand people at VidCon in twenty fourteen. Eighteen yeah, eighteen thousand people. Eighteen thousand. We do a conference and we get like two, three hundred? Eighteen thousand people. So what is it then? Why why are YouTube videos why do they have like a million people watch them and podcasts have 10,000? Like, why is that happening? You know, I think some of it is, is age and demographic. I think that uh, some of it is the time investment. There is an intimacy to podcasts, and that's fantastic. But they're, they tend to be a little bit longer, and they tend to be a little bit less scripted. They tend to be a little bit less structured. And it's more of it's more of an investment to sit down and listen to a conversation between two or more people than it is to say, well, here's a here's a, a four minute clip about science, and you sit down, you watch an episode of SciShow, and you get to see them talking about the thing that happened with the asteroid. Uh, and it's it's very easy to digest. They're like the, the, not not because there's an attention span problem, but because when you look at the time that you have over the course of a day you might be able to, to spend four minutes watching a really cool science video. And then you might send that link out on Twitter or email it to your friends or uh, Snapchat it or whatever the kids do. And those people are more likely to hit play on a four-minute video than they are on a two-hour-long podcast. It's so much easier to share. And the, the infrastructure is there. YouTube makes it really easy to share. It makes it really easy to embed. Whereas on the podcasting side... We just don't have the tools yet. It's not mature enough. The SoundCloud is helping, but there's still a ways to go. 
so the, the YouTube community and YouTube seems so far away from the Mac independent Mac entertainer field, you know, bloggers, podcasters. And there's very little crossover. There are very few video podcasts that come out of our corner of the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's kind of got a raised eyebrow at you at the moment <laughs> because you're making YouTube videos, right? Yeah, why Why at, uh, do you think this is? Why Why is there so such little crossover? I think we, uh, and I'm going to say we, including myself, we, we might just be a little, a little on the older side. I, I fear and that that's is, the problem. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say we're a bunch of old guys who don't understand uh, where things are going, but it, there's a little bit of that. There was a, and I, <laughs> I was going to sound like I'm calling him an old guy, uh, but at Singleton, Jason Snell was kind of you know, waving his, jokingly, like waving his fist at me for beating him to video. And I, I, <laughs> I totally get what he means. Uh, but like, did I? I mean, I don't feel like I beat anybody to anything. I, everybody's been doing, like, we are the last people to get, everyone in the world has beaten us to video. Yeah. It seems. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm trying to drag us kicking and screaming into five years ago when everybody else started doing this. Uh, <laughs> the, the raised eyebrow thing. I, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like I'm the, maybe the, the first person to notice it and do something about it. Uh, this is, a, this has been a thing for a while. Yeah, I think I think it's I think the key part is the latter of the statement. Like I think many many people that are involved in entertainment of some description uh have noticed YouTube. Like I know that it's something and it's something I keep my eye on, but I have yet to do anything because uh, I don't I don't have a thing that I want to do there that I can't just do here. Well, you know, you are maybe the first person in and around this community that at least I can think of that is seriously trying this not just putting a camera on themselves and recording themselves make a podcast and and put it on youtube but you are trying to create something that's a little bit more produced and is intended for video rather than video as being an afterthought or like a consequence right like this isn't just setting down a camera in front of two people who happen to be doing a podcast no it's not clear i still think of what i'm doing it's on video but it's still kind of just a podcast it's still the same. I'm making content for the internet and you get to hear me talking. It's still like the same sorts of ideas I would have on a pod. The, the, more than video, I think the real difference is that it's scripted. I think the fact that I sit down and I think an idea through and I capture my ideas and I edit it and I vet the script to people before I, I sit down to record it, that's the difference. It's not video. Video is... Uh, it's just a fun thing that I'm playing with. Really, my experiment is in scripted, edited content. Okay. I have so much more to ask you, but I want to take a quick break to thank Please. our second sponsor for this week, and that is our friends at Harry's. For many of us, shaving is a pain. It can be uncomfortable, it can cause nicks, cuts, scrapes, even razor burn. And razor blades today are outrageously expensive. So, you know, razor blades can burn your face as well as your pocket. But here come Harry's. Harry's was started by two guys who just wanted a better product without having to pay an arm and a leg to get it. They didn't want you to have to go into a store and fight with a clerk to get something out of a locked cabinet. Harry's decided to just improve everything. They make their own blades, high-quality, high-performing German blades crafted by absolute 
experts. They loved these blades so much, they loved the way they were made so much, that they purchased the factory in Germany that they went to visit. A better shave that respects your face and your wallet. That's what you get with Harry's. No more poor quality blades for high prices. They have an efficient business model that allows for factory direct pricing at a fraction of drugstore costs. Harry's razors offer a high quality shave that's better for your face and your wallet, as I mentioned. They're about half the price of the other big branded blades. They ship for free to your front doorstep. Their starter set is an amazing $15. You get, for that, you get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades. Or you can also pick up their fantastic new foaming shave gel as well, which I love very much. Why pay $32 for an eight-pack of blades when it's half the price at Harry's? On average, an everyday shaver saves $150 a year using Harry's blades. And with Harry's, your satisfaction is guaranteed. I love the way that their products look. Their branding is so cool, and it's, it kind of speaks to me uh, it, it makes me happy when i receive boxes from harry's that they send me it's super cool but it's got a retro feel to it as well so all their products have a nice classic look to them too it's very kind of like gentleman you know and i like that uh, i like to feel like a gentleman dave uh, their stuff smells <laughs> their stuff smells great as well as feeling great on my skin and you should be trying them out you can experience a clean close comfortable shave with harry's go to harry's.com right now and they'll give you five dollars off if you type in the code inquisitive with your first purchase that's h-a-r-r-y-s.com and enter the coupon code inquisitive at checkout for five dollars off and start shaving better today thanks so much to harry's for the support of this show i love i love the bought the factory in germany story I I would love to get more of that because I in my head they go to Germany and they're like they're touring the like these are really great razors uh, we're we're really happy with the blades we we just want to check out how you guys are doing things and at the end they're like you know what let me just write you a check somebody give me my checkbook <laughs> so yeah I have a company like, to buy like they just walked in and said I'm buying you you don't have a choice in the matter I'm just buying you yep there has there has to be a really great story because it feels so uh, you know. Like Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, just walk in and wave your hand and like, well, now I own the place. Yeah, it it, it is. It's very interesting. Uh, uh, maybe maybe I should talk to those guys once. You know, maybe maybe in a more interviewee style rather than just yeah. the ads. Uh, good people, and I will say uh, they're also huge supporters of, of Better Elevation. Yes, they are. It's kind of loads of stuff really that we that we that we make. You know. And yeah. Harry's and and, and uh, the other company Warby, which they're kind of part of the same group. Yeah, um, Warby Parker. Yeah, good people. Yeah, w the one thing I want to say about Harry's, uh, the, it. I, I wish they would do more to to push on this, but there. You you use the word gentleman. That these work perfectly fine on women too. They're still they're still fantastic razors. You did shave I, your legs once, didn't you? Uh, let's say no. <laughs> yeah, because I don't, uh, I don't shave my, like I, I go, I keep uh, a scruffy look on my face. So when they sent me the razor to do an ad read, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't really want to shave my face for this, but I feel like I should try the razor if I'm going to say something about it. But even when I've done, when I've done the video ads, uh, I don't show myself in the ad for Harry's. I just show a picture of my dog. Or I'll show a video of her, like, in front of the razor. And I kind of refer to mammals rather than for men, for women. Because uh, we had a, a, the very first time they ever sponsored anything was one on an episode of a TV show when they sponsored anything that I'd, I'd done. 
they sponsored an episode of the TV show, and our guest that particular week was a woman. So I sent her one and said, try this out. And so when she, when she went on, when she came on the show, we were doing the read, she was able to talk about how much she loved it. And it was a really nice thing. And they tell me, the Harry's people tell me they're working on stuff for, for women, and they've assured me that it's not just the same razors in pink. So I'm interested, I'm really curious to see what, they, what they're working on, what they've got planned. Very interesting. Yeah. So good people. They seem to have some, some really good ideas. I'm excited. I just, uh, uh, I, it's always, seems like it's always worth stressing that anybody could use it. Anybody who has hair on their bodies that they would like to not have on their bodies. <laughs> anybody and anything, I guess. Yeah. If you want to shave your dog, you can. You probably, uh, maybe just talk to a veterinarian. Yeah, prob- probably shouldn't, but I guess you could. You can share sheep. Maybe you can shave a dog. I don't know. Talk to a vet, or at least a groomer, before doing that. Anyway. So Dave, you've mentioned a lot of people that that you admire and and work that you enjoy on YouTube. Is there anything that you have looked at these people or tried to borrow from these people to create a style of your own? Or is there anything you've looked to emulate or improve upon? Oh yeah, and it's all kind of an experiment. And kind of, it's like in music where... I don't know if I don't know if you play any music or if you're musically inclined. I I enjoy music, but I don't have any uh, I don't have any skills. When you as a musician, it, it's really easy when you're learning to play guitar, or learning to sing, or starting to write songs. To you look at your favorite musicians and you kind of do what they did. Like when I was learning to play guitar, I was I was inspired by like you know the the early '90s uh, indie rock stuff. What at the time and I guess even in retrospect should call uh, grunge so I would look at like uh, Alice in Chains or Nirvana and I would look at uh, other stuff at the time Green Day Soundgarden a lot of stuff out of Seattle Uh, and I would kind of play guitar the way they played guitar and later when I started writing songs I, I found just naturally I was writing in those in similar structures and I would sing in a similar way and eventually out of that out of the emulation you sort of find your style. And I'm, I'm kind of going through a similar process with video, except I'm doing it very publicly, so my, my influences are much more naked. Uh, the first several, like my editing style, it's very John Green. The last one I did where it was just you know, animation while I'm talking, uh, I, I went so far as to personally apologize to CGP Grey for ripping him off. Uh, he, did, he did assure me that he didn't own PowerPoint, so it was probably... I hope he wasn't too mad at me. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. What do you think it takes to develop a Dave Whiskers style? I think that I've been doing podcast stuff for long enough that I'm I'm comfortable with my voice. I'm comfortable with the way I approach an idea and the way that I voice that idea. I think the video side of it is where I still need to find my voice, not um, so to speak. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of landing on my comfort zone. I'm going to, I'm going to fire a bunch of arrows and I'm going to see where they land and I'm going to pick the ones I like the best and I'm going to keep doing those things. And some of it is going to be because it's easier to produce that. And some of it's going to be because I think that it makes for a better show and hopefully it all comes down to making for a better show. Uh, But it's, I'm totally okay with the fact that I'm doing this out in the open and I'm totally okay with the fact that I even look at my first episode and I just think, wow, what a piece of crap that gets me excited because I want to always be able to look back at the last thing I did and know how to, how I could have made it better. And this isn't a show that I'm producing for PBS. 
This isn't some some thing that's going to be shown in theaters worldwide. This is uh, five minute videos that you watch on your computer or your phone. And I, I'm I'm trying to be realistic about the fact that you get them for free. So it's okay that I'm being experimental. It's okay that I'm doing this. And part of it, part of the hope is that other people look at this and go, well, I could do that. In the same way that so many of us looked at Daring Fireball and said, you know, we'll, we'll separate John's voice from the process for just a second, but like looking at, well, here's a blog, and sometimes it's just links to stuff. Well, usually it's just links to stuff, and sometimes you write like your thoughts on a thing. Well, I could do that. And then the link blog became popularized. And really, I think it was uh, borrowed from Kotkey more than anything, but like in, in our bubble, we kind of looked at Daring Fireball, and, and now all of a sudden everybody's got a link blog. And similarly, uh, the talk show with John Gruber and Dan Benjamin became a thing, and it sort of set the the template for, well, I I could sit down and talk to a microphone with my friends about what we think about computers and stuff, and people have continued doing that. And there's nothing wrong with those as templates, and there's nothing wrong with, with wanting to do those things. Uh, we just don't have a good template for this other kind of thing yet. And it would take somebody just saying screw it and doing it before I think it catches on. And that's natural. I just, uh, I think maybe some of my criticism came out, out of the people who would be most equipped or most influential in doing those things have kind of rested on what's working for them now. And there's not a lot of drive to push things forward. But ultimately, it's going to take a couple of people doing this before it catches on. And uh, I, uh, if, if, if I get to to help make a thing happen, then that's really exciting. But uh, mostly, it's it's uh, I I like the idea of of trying to evolve things, trying to play with things, and we'll figure out what exactly my voice sounds like in the process. And hopefully, that's constantly changing too. So on your site, you have uh, a list of video equipment that you use, and I've put it in the show notes for this week's episode. It's, it's at relay.fm slash inquisitive slash 18. And you also, yesterday, you, you tweeted some pictures um, of what it looks like when you record. There's a lot of stuff there. Um, and, and, <laughs> and what it kind of it highlights to me is it seems pretty expensive to make good-looking video. Oh, so I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up. Uh, when I when I tweeted the the picture of my setup, it was mostly because I finally got my teleprompter rig working, which is just uh, it's a piece of hardware I bought and an iPad, but it it functions as a real teleprompter. It it it's uh, text reflected off of glass so that I'm looking directly at the camera when I'm reading, uh, which it, it's a it, it makes for a more professional look when you're doing looking at the camera style stuff. Uh, I was just happy with with how cool it looked, but the truth is not that expensive. What caught me off guard is when I posted the picture, it got it got a pretty big response. And more people than I would have expected, and different people than I would have expected, had you know, would send me messages or or favorite the the tweet. Uh, it it kind of gave me some hope for people being interested in this sort of thing. And I've been talking to David Smith underscore the world famous underscore David Smith because he's doing some video stuff now, like a kind of educational. Uh, screencasty kinds of videos about how to do things in Swift and with WatchKit, and it's really cool stuff. And the first couple he's done, it kind of looks like he's huddled up under a blanket because he's pretty much huddled up under a blanket filming this on his like his the, the built-in camera on his computer, and it it's got sort of this this almost comical low-budget look. And we were talking about this, and he'd said that, that 
uh, he was kind of using my my pushing in this direction as a as, as motivator for for getting more into video stuff. And we started talking about equipment and what we could do. And the thing that I convinced him to do was go buy some lights. And there's a lighting set, the the one that I use, it's on the it's, it's in that list. Uh, I think like a hundred hundred and fifty bucks maybe. Not terribly expensive. Right. And then he started posting test pictures of like what his what the room looks like or like pictures of him with the lighting on and it's night and day. It is it is ridiculous how much higher quality the the images are just off of that. And I think maybe he switched to using his his real camera which it was just the the DSLR that he had which uh if if we want to make an argument about anybody could do this Anybody could just use the camera on their computer. Anybody could just use the microphone that's built into their computer or their earbuds. The difference between making a I could do it podcast and a well-produced podcast financially, the equipment you need to buy, isn't really any different than making well-produced video content. The, The list that you posted has a lot of stuff. In it and 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 I think the difference is I mean I look at it and I'm like I don't need that much to <laughs> to make a to make an audio podcast because there's other things as well like you've got that that the cost of the the additional equipment you know like I don't need lights for example um, but then you have to think about a setup like a location so for example where I am right now uh, in my home I wouldn't want to record myself right here because. There's like a bed behind me. <laughs> that could be a that be a different type of show. It's a totally different type of show. Um, so I think like that. There's more. There are, there are more considerations. I think that need to go into video uh, than need to go into to doing what we're doing right now. Right. I think the difference is in the thought. Yeah. Not in in really even the technical execution because the software isn't that different. The the jump from Logic to Final Cut Pro was not big. I'd never used Final Cut Pro in my life okay. until I started doing this. It's not such a big jump that if you if you can use Logic or even GarageBand to edit your show, Final Cut or iMovie would not be a dramatic leap. Um the the software other than that, I mean, it's uh I use Highland for writing the the scripts, but you could really use anything. What is that? I mean, that leaves us with lighting and location. This is but the I, I, location is more thought than than it is execution. I was concerned in in having this conversation with you that you were going to dispel a lot of my uh, a lot of my thoughts about this. Ah, it's too expensive. <laughs> no, it really doesn't cost any more money. Like you got to buy some lights, but you can use the same microphone you already have. And there's no rule saying that it needs to be an on-set show. You could do everything, and that's part of why I did the video I did, uh, the, the last one, all in animation. I did that entirely with with emoji and pictures I found on the internet in Final Cut Pro. No camera, no no image of me. There's no lighting requirement. My, my fancy camera, my fancy teleprompter, fa- fancy uh, uh, shotgun mic, all that stuff out of the picture. It's just me, my podcast microphone, and my computer. You could totally do these things. You could totally do a screencast show where you're talking about how to do things in code or how to do things, how to edit things. Like there's, there's a million things you could show visually that, that would be dramatically improved by showing visually 
that don't require you to spend a ton of money on a, a, a camera rig. I do it because I just like, I kind of like, you know, getting hardcore about the, the tech side of playing with a fancy camera and uh, putting together a, a teleprompter, because, mostly because I think that stuff is cool. And some of it is I, I'm excited about hammers and so things look like nails, uh, but that it just kind of feeds back into the same thing. You don't need any of this stuff. So I want to I wanna talk about uh, the great podcast debate. Do we need to thank a sponsor first? We most certainly do. And that is our friends <laughs> at Campaign Monitor. They make it easy to design, create, send, and optimize your email campaigns, both quickly and easily. Campaign Monitor features Canvas. This is their easy-to-use builder for creating beautiful email newsletters that look great everywhere, even on mobile devices. Thousands of Campaign Monitor customers are using Canvas to totally reinvent what they send. And you can create an email template that matches your brand for free right now at campaignmonitor.com templates. With Canvas, you can create an email template in just minutes. Super easy to use. You have a drag and drop interface at your disposal that allows you to take care of all the things that you want to just work, like automatic image resizing. You can select perfect typography and colors that are going to look great with the type of thing that you're attempting to send. And they're going to look amazing on all types of devices because Campaign Monitor take care of responsive design as well for you. You're able to choose your own fonts, your own colors. You can really make these templates sing. Campaign Monitor is so cool that they've even made it possible for people to build and export templates without ever starting a Campaign Monitor account. But you definitely should. Campaign Monitor have loads of other great features, like maybe you need to do A-B testing of subject lines. Maybe you want to uh, check against spam filters and things like that. They have all of the tools that you're going to need. Go and sign up right now at campaignmonitor.com. Use a free account to sign up. Thank you so much to Campaign Monitor for continuing to support Inquisitive every week. We love you. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, you had a very interesting video about the current state of podcasting. Uh, It was mainly focused around tech podcasts, and it was kind of a critical review um, of what people are doing now, what some of the trends are, and the types of things that you think that people should consider changing. And we've touched on some of this stuff with the video, you know, kind of broadening your horizons a little bit, but also focusing on the lack of diversity in podcasts and the lack of both in subject matter, production style, and voices. Is that a fair summary? That sounds pretty fair, yeah. I've, I've, I've been thinking about it a bit. I, I, y- yes, and I like the way you approach that. Uh, it is my my criticism is sort of twofold. I think that we're we're too we're too comfortable with the way we're doing things, and we're too comfortable with the people we have doing them. And it it bums me out that we're not trying to push the envelope, and it bums me out that we're not being more inclusive about who we're bringing to the table, who we're making to feel like could come do these things with us. So this video seems to spark quite a bit of discussion, and it furthered discussion that's been happening at the moment um people are talking about podcasts right now you know partly in because of serial and then because people are talking about serial people in the tech community are talking about the fact that podcasts never went away right was it your intention to to spark or further the debate when you create this video were you trying to set a little fire uh i guess to a certain degree i'm always going to have like a little uh anti-establishment rebellious streak in me i don't do super great with authority but this isn't really that so much as it was 
I don't know, some of my best friends make really popular podcasts and I sell ads for really popular podcasts. And I feel like I'm, I'm inside a thing. And I keep hearing people talking about how people who aren't us, people who aren't popular podcasters, people who aren't internet personalities talking about how like making jokes about how it's always the same white dudes who have all these podcasts. And there's a couple of things going on in a joke like that. There, it's all the same people and it's all white dudes and it's all the same stuff. And it, it kind of, the more I thought about it, the more I feel like this is a valid criticism. This is, we've got an opportunity here, but there's no critical structure in place. We don't have, like, if you went and started a new TV show, there are TV critics and they would watch your show and they would give you feedback and you would, you would read that feedback in public and you could do what you wanted to with it. If you went and put on a play, people would come to your play and they would write about it. If you made a movie, people would go to your movie and then write about it. Professionals and amateurs. And we don't really have that for podcasts. We also kind of don't have it for apps, but it's a little bit better because at least there are sites that review apps. But it's not as critical as, as maybe it could be. And it kind of comes back to this, this feeling that we're too polite, we're too nice, we're too worried about hurting somebody else's ego or seeming like we're being too arrogant. And I think it's kind of hurt us a little bit. We're not, we're not, being, you know, we're not being real talk enough about things. And there's, no, there's nobody, there's no structure in place to review a podcast other than like the iTunes reviews, which uh, if, if the, the feedback I get from other app makers is correct, uh, nobody reads those, or the people who do read those think that everybody who writes them is an idiot. And it's hard, it's, nobody's really taking this stuff seriously. I say words like everybody and nobody, and I'm, I'm, I'm painting with very broad strokes here, and I, I realize that. But there's this sort of overwhelming feeling that, that we just, we kind of need, we need something, we need some kind of kick in the ass to move things forward. And I thought, well, if, if somebody's going to do this, if somebody's going to make any kind of criticism, if any, somebody's going to like point this out, it, it should be somebody on the inside. It should be somebody. And I thought, well, maybe I have an opportunity here. Maybe because, because I'm one of these guys, maybe it'll be easier to take. Maybe it'll be easier to spark a conversation rather than like react to it. Um, and for the most part, I think that's how it's wound up. I think that initially when the video came out and the message was put out there, some people uh, got very upset or very defensive, and some people made some incorrect assumptions. I think amusingly, a, a handful of people thought that the video was made to attack you. Yeah, yeah, which, which is it, weird. It's it, it, weird, weird but me. also it's well, and it's funny because you were one of the people who read the script before I recorded. it. Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I did read it before. It was interesting because reading it beforehand was very different to seeing it on video. There was just something about my reading and then the delivery uh it hit home for me a lot harder hearing you talk about it um and then hearing that's an interesting argument for video yeah it is uh and then hearing you know and then it was very strange to 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 see people talking about me uh for 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 a little while about it it was it was an interesting thing and and you know and because i i agree with with a lot of the things that you have put forward um and it's something that me and steven think about every day um like we have a kind of like an internal 
mantra at the moment, like no new shows until there's women. Uh, right, right. That's like a thing that we're working on really, really hard at Relay, and we have other things that we want to do, but we we really want to bring a little bit of more diversity into our network first. Um, it's kind of like a top priority thing for us. It's something that we failed at so far. So that's there's great. a lot of stuff there that, that I agree with. And, and you know, it, I've been thinking a lot about the stuff that you said in regards to, f- like, thinking about format. And, you know, I'm thinking about different formats and, and just different ways of doing the shows that are not just, like, a couple of people talking directly at each other in a conversational style. So it definitely helped, I think, me think about things. However, it was a uh, an interesting couple of weeks initially, I think. I, I, I wondered about this. I wondered if maybe I wasn't as entrenched in a certain circle as I thought I was. Maybe there was like... I, I, I gotta, I'm trying to be really careful in how I phrase this. But there was a moment where I thought like... Maybe there's this club that I'm not a part of. And maybe so much of the reaction that I'm seeing is because people are wanting to defend somebody in the club that I'm not. And I like it it started to feel a little clicky. And maybe that's maybe a lot of this is just my interpretation or or me or whatever. But the fact that it could be read that way made me think about, well, this is why. This is why we need to have these conversations. Because if if you know what whatever connections I have, whoever my friends are, if I'm feeling this way, then some somebody uh, of a different gender or skin color who's hanging out like in, in you know, uh, a computer lab in Oklahoma or something, how, how do they feel? If, if in this conversation now I feel removed, how does somebody who's genuinely many steps removed from, from this bubble, how do they feel about how inclusive this bubble is? How do they feel about their chances of being able to enter into this stuff? Um, eh. So I, I I totally understand what you're saying. I, I think the reason that you got a bit of backlash from some people is some people uh, thought you were attacking, I think. Um, Which I, I won't even say is an unfair thing. It's not an unfair assumption. If you, if you see something that matches up with... Uh, a criticism that could be levied against a friend of yours, it it is a valid reaction to think that it is about that person. Yeah, um, it's it's another thing how you react to that feeling or how how you behave from that point forward. But I don't think that the assumption itself was invalid. No, and I think the other part is like you know you were criticizing things that people were doing, and and I don't think that people. I think people tend to get a bit shifty in there. They shift in their seats when a light is shone in their face. Yeah. Well, the reaction that's how that I, I got... felt about it anyway. It was like I I felt like you were shining a light on on this and there was some things in there that I could see were true. There were some things that I felt didn't necessarily apply to me, but the light was being shone there anyway. That's it's so interesting to me because the reaction that I got from and this is going to come out sounding way more incendiary than I mean it, but like the reaction that I got from white guys with podcasts was kind of uncomfortable and people shifting in their seats. And the reaction I got from people outside of the podcasting bubble was very, yes, this is exactly the problem I have with podcasts right now. And well, yeah, that makes sense to me. It, and it, it, I don't know if that validates anything, but it does. It, it strikes me that 
the voice I was trying to use and the way I was trying to approach this was that I could be a little bit more comfortable about it because every time I talk about white guys in podcasts, I'm a white guy in podcast. That's like, that's the subtext to all of this. I'm talking about me. And when people were, were, were upset about, I must've been taught when I said, you know, white guys on podcast networks where they appear on nearly every show, I must be talking about you. I must be talking about Dan Benjamin. I must be talking about Leo Laporte. I must be talking about Jason Snell or Renee Ritchie. And the fact that there were so many to choose from was kind of the point. But really, the person I was talking about was me. It was in the realization that I was on on a podcast network more than one show, and the other people on the same network were on more than one show. It was all me casting a light on myself. But the interesting thing me. is, it's it's talking about everyone but nobody in particular. Like right, that's how I felt about it. It's like you, yes, you apply, you can apply this to multiple different people. The fact that it was so easily ambigu- uh, ambiguous was the problem I was trying to point out. Not that, that you are doing bad work or Dan Benjamin or Jason Snell or Leo Laporte or Renee Ritchie are doing bad work because I think you guys are all doing great stuff and these are all great shows and you're, you're contributing real things. And at the, at the micro level, you look at any one of these, any one of these shows, any one of these personalities, and it's all good stuff. And when you zoom out, it, it's not that it's bad stuff. It's just that you start to see it, it, it gets harder and harder to, to spot the differences between the pixels. So since making this video, what have you seen that that you find uh, interesting or encouraging? Uh, I, I think that the stuff David Smith is doing, I'm really excited about. I'm hearing more and more from people who are curious about doing video stuff, and they ask me about my setup. I've been sending out the, the link to the, the tools I use more and more. Um, somebody just suggested that what I should do is make a, a video about how to make videos. And that would I'm be quite good. That. I would quite like one on animation, Dave. If you, <laughs> if you could help me out there a little bit, I, nice. you know, I I feel like I I owe the guy uh, lunch or something. So I'm gonna just keep saying his name. I'd asked C- CGP Gray ages ago about the tools he used to do this stuff, and I expected that there was like some kind of crazy animation studio software that I'd never heard of that he must use to put his shows together because they're so great. And he's just like, yeah, I use this vector drawing tool in Final Cut Pro, and I'm like, well, crap. I have that stuff. I have no excuses. <laughs> the The only difference between me and you is uh, talent and thoughtfulness. You have the same. You have the same hammer I have. You're just you're doing more with it. You're building better stuff. And I I look at that as a challenge to go build better stuff. Because it, it, what I'd love to do, because I feel like the the list of stuff I the the video equipment is is kind of out of the excitement of playing with new stuff. And what I'd really like to do is make something that would show off how easy it is to do this kind of, you got, you got like five year olds with their own YouTube channels and they're doing it all on iPhones and people watch these things. There's, there's so little, here's the crazy thing, the tools to make. And I mean, record to, to script, record, edit and publish a video show on your phone are fantastic. The tools to record, edit, and publish a podcast on your phone barely exist if they exist at all. There is some stuff, but yeah, it's it pretty really work. The problem is you can have okay audio on a video that's more acceptable, I think, than uh, okay audio on audio because you, you know, the video can be really good. Right, on the phone, right, right, where it's not so good 
that like so you can get really great video from your iPhone and okay audio from your iPhone. So you can kind of put them together and you get a decent end product. But you yeah. can't do that with a audio podcast. Which I think that's why the tools don't really exist because you still need to plug a microphone in. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> well, this at is that this point. is I I mentioned this on the on the talk show last week. Uh, I I find it it's really telling and really interesting that every year there's a big to do about the new camera and the iPhone. It's you know this many megapixels. It's got this sensor. It's this much smaller. It's this much better. And the sapphire, blah blah blah. Nobody ever talks about the microphone. When when I heard that, I was like, yeah, <laughs> that would be nice. I'd what, love that. What does what does Apple know that we don't? And it kind of goes in two directions. Wouldn't it be great if the tools were better? But also, what are we missing about video? What is it about? Like the rest of the world seems to be getting this, and and we're not there yet. Um, and so there's there's two directions. Like I want, and I keep trying to stress this i want it's not that i want podcasts to go away and i i feel like a lot of people uh got the the, their takeaway was that i was talking uh, i was speaking out against podcasts which is not at all i think of even what i make as a podcast even even in video it's still it's still just you know i'm I'm a i'm a dude making a show and it happens to be in color um i don't want podcasts to go away i want them to get better i want the video podcast to get better i want the audio podcast to get better i want them to be more thoughtful I want them to be, um, I want them to, to generate new ideas. I want them to consist of new ideas. And I want to, I want more new and interesting voices to be heard. I want people to feel empowered by them. Mr. Dave Whiskers. What? Where can people find your stuff? <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer. What? What do you want? Tell me. Can I help you? <laughs> Uh, well, youtube.com slash better elevation or better elevation.com. Uh, if you want to follow me on the Twitter, it's, uh, at the I'm also at the on app.net. That's always a good one <laughs> to throw out there. What about path? Are you a path user? Do you have a, a path profile? I, I never closed my account. I think it's still out there. Uh, but no, I haven't had the app installed in a very long time. It's pretty much just Facebook. Like the same stuff. I've already got a Facebook. I don't need another Facebook. Fancy Facebook. I don't want the Facebook I have. If you want to find a link of show notes to today's episode, you want to take yourself over to relay.fm slash inquisitive slash 18. Thanks again to our sponsors for this week, Linda, Harry's, and Campaign Monitor. If you want to find me on Twitter, I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E, and I'll be back next time. Thanks so much to Dave for joining me. Thank you all for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Dave. <laughs>